You may be able to make out on the bottom of the picture that this young man's name is Ishmael Bea. He's a university graduate and he's a writer who's written a best-selling book. He lives in New York and occasionally he speaks at the UN. That's his life today. But he had another life before this one. As a young boy, He was a child soldier in Sierra Leone. When his village was destroyed, he was forced to join a rebel army at the age of 12. As part of his training, he was pumped full of something called brown brown. That's a mixture of cocaine and gunpowder. And he was given a machine gun and he was used in Sierra Leone as a killing machine many, many other young boys. Then in the middle of that living nightmare, he was picked up by a UNICEF team and he was extracted from the war. Eventually he was adopted by a lady in New York. And this is his comment on the life that he lives today. I live knowing I have been given a second life. As far as I know, Ishmael Bea is not a Christian. But his summary of his own life could be a summary of our passage this evening. We are returning this evening to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Last week, Paul warned the Colossians not to lose sight of reality. He called them back from focusing on religious rituals and religious experiences and from focusing on the appearance of holiness. He called them back and he said, you need to focus on the reality that's found in Jesus Christ. And tonight he's going to help us to do that. Our passage, as you can see, is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. And in the church Bible... That's page 1184. This is what Paul says. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, No, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, 
Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is God's Word. This passage falls into two pretty clear sections. The second section, you'll have noticed, says a lot about behavior. But the first section lays the foundation for all that talk about behavior. In verses 1 to 4, Paul says, Turn your heart and mind upwards and forwards. These verses are all about how to think and what to focus on. Paul is saying, before we get into talking about behavior, we have to get our understanding and our focus right. Look at verse 1 again. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What does he mean when he says you have been raised with Christ? Were they crucified with him? Did they lie dead in the tomb with him? Did they resurrect with him? Well, in one sense, yes, they did. Jesus did those things on behalf of his people. He did those things as our representative and our substitute. In Christ, you and I died to our old life of slavery to sin. And we resurrected to a new life. Without him, we would not have a life. And in verse 1, Paul says, Since that's true, since the life you now live is given to you by Christ, he must be the focus of your life. Your aims and ambitions must be centered on him. So, he says, set your hearts on things above. And he does not mean look vertically up into the sky. Things above means the things of ultimate importance, the crucial things, the transcendent realities that tower above everything else. What are those transcendent realities? Well, Paul mentions two of them in these opening verses. The first is right here in verse 1. Grasp the reality of Christ's reign. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is seated because he's the reigning king. He's seated at God's right hand because that's the place of honor and authority. And he's described as being seated above, not because his throne is 10 or 20 miles up in the sky. He's described as being seated above because his authority is above every other authority. In Ephesians, Paul says Christ is seated far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. Yes, Jesus still has enemies. His reign is opposed, but he's still reigning. Our king is not fighting for his throne. He's sitting on his throne. And his reign is secure. He has enemies, but none of them can threaten his throne. He is far above all of them. Paul says, 
Set your hearts on this truth. Appreciate it. Soak yourself in the reality that our God reigns. And Paul understands that this requires effort from us. Our hearts don't just drift up into focusing on things above. And the culture that presses in on us every day is not going to help us focus on these things. Non-stop noise and media and busyness do not lead us to things above. We are living in an environment which constantly pulls our focus toward earthly things. The New Testament describes the Christian life as a struggle. And part of our struggle is to fight against the magnetic pull toward earthly things. We said that looking above doesn't mean looking straight up into the sky. And equally, earthly things is not a reference to things that are sitting on the ground. If the things above are the ultimate transcendent things, then earthly things are just the opposite. They are the temporary, insubstantial things. The stuff that really doesn't matter. Although we are tempted to live like it really does matter. Fashion, politics, sport, taxes, mortgage rates. I'm not saying that those things have no importance, but compared with things above, they have very limited importance. It takes conscious effort to pause in the midst of daily life and look above those earthly things. We have to make that conscious effort. And just in passing, we mustn't confuse what we're talking about here with chasing after heavenly visions. You may remember last week, Paul condemned people who chase after those things. Paul never denies that they may happen. God may give us visions, but we can't make them happen, and we're not to chase after them. What Paul is calling us to here is not visionary experiences, but reflection on reality. The Bible teaches us about reality. You and I don't need to go up to heaven in a vision to know that Jesus is seated there. The Bible tells us he is. And it's that truth we're to set our hearts and minds on. But it's not just about looking up. We have to look forwards too. Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's point is, we must look forward to Christ's return. But he puts it in an unusual way in verse 3. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? I think Paul is saying two things. First of all, he's saying that our life is secure. What we have in Christ is something no one can ever take away from us. No circumstance can touch it. 
our new life in Christ is safe. It's as safe as if it were tucked away in God's pocket next to his heart. But, and this is the second implication of this word hidden, there will be many times when we don't sense our security in Christ because everything looks insecure. Calvin said that often our life in Christ is not only hidden in the opinion of this world, but it's hidden even to our own senses. We feel encompassed not with life, but with death. Maybe our new life seems real to us on Sundays, but often it seems a lot less real on Mondays. That's something John mentioned in his prayer earlier. And so, Paul says, just as we need to stop and look upwards, we also need to discipline ourselves to look forwards. Because one day what is hidden now will be seen by everyone. In verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is coming back. And on that day, the glory and security of our new life in Christ will be clear. It will be clear to us, and it will be clear to this world that today makes fun of our hope in Christ. What Paul is telling us is that as Christians, we need to stop regularly and breathe the air of heaven. Or as he puts it in 2 Corinthians, we need to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Paul is about to talk about putting sin to death in our lives. But if that's ever going to happen, we need to take these first verses to heart. We need to turn our hearts and minds upwards and forwards. And now we're ready for what Paul says next. In verses 5 to 11, he tells the Colossians, you have a new life to live, so leave the old life behind. Notice that verse 5 begins, put to death, therefore. The therefore shows that what Paul is about to say is built on what he's just said. Because we have a new life, we are to choke the last breath out of our old life. Verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. One commentator says that being heavenly-minded does not mean living in the clouds. In other words, looking upwards and forwards is going to make a difference in our life today on earth. As you and I focus on the truth that we belong to the reigning and returning king, we're going to live like people who belong to him. Remember what we sang earlier, we belong to the day, let us journey in the light. The more real that day is to us, 
the more we're going to live like people who belong to the king. One of the things we said last week was that focusing on external things like rules and regulations, that's not going to change our heart. But look at the list Paul gives here in verse 5. It starts with external behavior, sexual immorality. Then it moves to internal desires, evil desires and greed. The point is that focusing on Christ is going to change our external behavior and it's going to change our heart. Obviously, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list of sins. But it does show that a focus on Christ can help us to put all kinds of sin to death. It can get us beyond just cleaning up appearances in our lives. It can lead to genuine change on the inside too. You'll notice that greed is the only item that gets some extra explanation here. We're told that greed is idolatry. What that means is that the sin of greed, the thing that makes it sinful, is not just that we're chasing after more and more stuff. It's that we're pursuing more and more stuff instead of God. If I'm greedy for things, it's because I believe deep down that those things will fulfill me. That's idolatry. Because something that is not God has taken the place of God in my life. That thing has become the thing that determines my priorities and my state of mind. And the great problem with greed is that it's so subtle. If you commit sexual immorality, you know very well that you're doing it. Greed is an awful lot harder to pin down. In many people's minds, it's become acceptable and respectable. So how do we spot the line between a reasonable desire for things that we need and an unholy worship of stuff? I think that all of us can recognize the extremes easily enough. We know that wanting daily food and a bed to sleep in is reasonable. And we know that wanting a paradise island is not reasonable. But all of us live somewhere in between those extremes. It's hard to find the line. And yet, as hard as it is, we can't say that line doesn't matter. Because we're told that greed is idolatry. And verse 6 says, because of idolatry and the other sins that he's mentioned... The wrath of God is coming. Greed is not acceptable for the Christian. Greed belongs to our old life. And we are to choke the last breath out of it. One way that we'll be able to find the point where we're crossing over into greed is by fixing our minds and hearts on the things of ultimate importance. The transcendent things of verses 1 to 4. Fixing our eyes on those things will help us see when we're crossing over into greed. 
which is idolatry. Paul has given a list of sins, and now he says in verse 7, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self, its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. One writer says that these believers are to discard their old habits like a set of worn-out clothes. That's what Paul's saying. You may have noticed that his second list of sins in verse 8 goes in the opposite direction from the first list. It starts with the heart, anger, and it ends up with outward behavior filthy language and lies. What Paul is telling us is that our struggle with sin has to take place on both of those battlefields. We have to put to death both sinful actions and sinful attitudes. And the reason we can put those sins to death is because they're not natural for us anymore. They were natural for the person we used to be, the person who was sold as a slave to sin. But on the cross, Jesus paid our bill and set us free. Through his resurrection, he provided us with new life. Through faith in him, we've taken off our old self with its practices, and we've put on the new self. And although you and I may not look any different, we are not the same people we used to be. In the words of Ishmael Beah, we live knowing we have been given a second life. In chapter 1, Paul said, we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Christ. We are new people in a new kingdom with a new king. And Paul says the king is still working in us. He's not finished with us. He's still renovating the broken down person that he bought and breathed life into. Verse 10 says this new self we've put on is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Our hearts and minds are being renewed to know and love God's will. We're being made more like Him. So we are new creations in Christ, and He's still recreating us. Doesn't that make us want to kill the sin that gets in the way of His work? The sin that denies who we are? And the sin that steals the joy of our new life. That's the thing about Christians. We are miserable sinners. Sin makes us miserable. That's because it goes against our new nature. It may not have bothered us before we came to Christ, but now it does bother us. 
And yes, there may be sins we are still unconscious of. Those sins aren't bothering us. But as we become aware of our sin, then we can't continue in those sins without being miserable. Our way to joy is to seek to put all sin to death because it jars with our new nature. Paul ends this passage by pointing to the unity we have because of our new life. Not only is sin contrary to our new nature, barriers between us have no place either. We saw that in Acts this morning, and we find it again here in verse 11. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In the society of the time, Jews looked down on Greeks, and Greeks looked down on barbarians and Scythians. Scythians were the lowest kind of barbarians. They were made fun of in Greek plays. They were considered to have uncouth ways and uncouth speech. A bit like the ancient equivalent of the Irish. Obviously, Paul is not saying here that your nationality just disappears when you become a Christian. He's not saying the circumcised become uncircumcised when they turn to Christ. He's not saying that all slaves become freedmen when they turn to Christ. His point is that none of those things makes a difference spiritually. We are no longer defined by our education level or our background or nationality. We are defined by our new life in Christ. Christ is all and is in all. What's true of sin in our lives is true of the things that divide us from other Christians. To all of those things, Paul says, you have a new life to live. So leave the old life behind. Let's pray.